Hello. Hello. How are you doing? You mean two weeks later? <laughs> yes, well, it happened. It was a crazy two weeks. You what know? happened was Wizards well, Unite happened? Community Day with Pickett. I went hard and streamed for I don't know how long I streamed for, both as a group with WooTubers and also solo on Twitch. And then I could not do anything on Sunday. Yeah, that so and I think that combined with like that I lost some of the middle of the week because I had a little toe issue that got sorted out. So like in the run up to the community day, I was like, uh, didn't get as much done as I would have needed to. I basically only worked and then I was like, okay, well, good luck. Let it go stream. <laughs> um, yeah, but I'm happy to be back. We're really at the heart now. I mean, it's it feels and now the pacing is really interesting because I'm so used to like just sitting down and reading these books at my own pace, but to have like a week to week focus, it feels that the pace of it feels much more like the Sorcerer's Stone to me, where mm -hmm. I can like feel things ramping up more than I than I did when I would just like read, you know, until I fell asleep or something like that. Yeah, the last chapter, things escalated. A lot of stuff happened at the end in this and, one and, as yeah, well. Yeah, my gosh, <laughs> I know. My gosh, it's my gosh. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you just want to get into it then? Yeah, let's All go. All right, do you have anything else you need to talk about? I don't think so, right? We're doing just, uh, you know, join some streams if you want to know about Wizards Unite. One's ready. <laughs> okay, turn to page 249, Cornelius Fudge. Today's lesson is called Distortion. <laughs> Synopsis. The chapter begins with our trio reckoning with the information from Tom Riddle's diary showing that Hagrid housed a creature in Hogwarts when the Chamber of Secrets was last open. With the lapse in attacks, they decide it's not necessary to confront him about it. On the eve of the next Qu Gryffindor-Quidditch match against Hufflepuff, Harry finds his belongings ransacked and only the diary taken. On the following day before the match, he hears the voice again in the walls, uh, which seems to spark an epiphany in Hermione. She runs off to the library as Harry and Ron go down to the match, uh, but before the, before the match starts, Professor McGonagall announces the suspension of it and asks Harry and Ron to accompany her. She shows them a petrified Hermione Granger and Penelope Clearwater, who were found only with a small mirror. In the aftermath of the attack, Harry and Ron resolve to visit Hagrid under the cloak of invisibility. When they arrive, Hagrid is agita agitated, and before they get their questions answered, Dumbledore also arrives at Hagrid's hut with Cornelius Fudge, the Minister of Magic. Fudge declares that he has no choice but to take Hagrid to Azkaban in light of these new attacks. When things seem, seem like they can't get much worse, Lucius Malfoy arrives to declare the governors have removed Dumbledore from his position effective immediately. Dumbledore and Hagrid both part the hut with peculiar words directed at Harry and Ron, invisible in the corner of the hut. Mm, well, Hit me with it. So, I don't know, I was trying to think of what... I mean, I started reading the chapter, and the first thing I wrote down to myself was circumstantial evidence question mark this is an extension of the diary chapter that we just read and mm -hmm. so already we have this memory that harry sees tom riddles invites him into this memory and then it's like it's hagrid and so then and then tells people that um and i think that you also noted this when you were reading or when i heard you reading of like basically what is said is that 
Um, okay, so backing up though, circumstantial evidence is it requires an inference. So it's different than direct evidence. I went through, I don't know, this like this law like is whole a, thing these are of, legal like, kind of definition. Yeah, so mm-hmm. how evidence is presented and so direct evidence is like I saw this person do this. Circumstantial evidence, which I also know from how to get away with murder <laughs> or any sort of like uh, drama TV shows mm-hmm. is that it's evidence that requires an inference that suggests someone is culpable for something. So mm. um, the fact that Hagrid has this affinity towards Beast and whatever is kind of like that is the connection that is made with the memory, even though it wasn't that Harry or Tom or whoever directly saw Hagrid with a beast or creature. And so it's all circumstantial. And it's actually where perceptions and biases work to basically form an argument or make people think, oh, this is likely because blah, blah, blah. Even though it's so it's like less um, uh, strong, I guess, than direct evidence. It's like I see it with my own eyes. But of course, we can talk about like what that means but yeah and then there's like a quote we always knew Hagrid had been expelled so there's like all these like little pieces that the inference is made that connects these things and that's that's what happened at the beginning well it sounds to me like we were on the same wavelength in terms of our the overall you know feeling of this chapter and that's kind of what I was meaning by distortion like everything is a little bit off and it it totally carries through from the last chapter as well, where it's sort of like it's a funhouse mirror a bit. You're you're not because you don't because the we slash Harry, Ron, and Hermione don't have the whole picture. Uh, they they become distorted, and then I was also thinking about the sim the kind of symbolism of the mirror, right? And what we learn about why mm-hmm. Hermione and Penelope had this mirror is that they were intentionally distorting. Uh, what they would see. So I thought that that was a useful kind of marker of like, what exactly is going on? Why is this mirror kind of the big mystery of the chapter? Right. I mean, there's all these sort of like oddly spoken and distorted phrases, like what Dumbledore and mm-hmm. Hagrid say. And, and and then there's like distortion between like the motives. So like Fudge doesn't really yet necessarily think Hagrid did it, but like he, he feels like he has to move. So that's distorted. There's a potential distortion of, like, Malfoy and, like, what his business is. <laughs> and, yeah, so I just, I, I totally agree with you that, that this is what is going on right now. And it's really almost the theme of the whole book mm. is that there's this weird sort of nobody is quite saying exactly what they mean. Almost the whole mm. book, it's starting with Dobby, right? And, like, right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, and the, uh, now I'm just... Now that I'm on this train of thought, I'm just backing into all this type of stuff. Like Arthur Weasley writes this law, but he distorts it so that he can keep a flying car, right? Mm. He, he, or he views, he distorts its meaning on purpose. Like there's all this distortion that's happening. And I think it's really useful to sort of guide our view as the series continues because what we see i think a way to interpret what is going to happen over the arc of the next few books is just a continuous like distortion on distortion people are really struggling to say like what they actually mean in a truthful way so then like serious black gets distorted and all this 
Which, speaking of, if you don't mind, maybe I can get into the part that I researched. Yeah. It might be what you researched. I don't know. I, I researched, researched half Cornelius of Fudge. Okay. Mm -hmm. Did you look at him? I did not look at him specifically, but all I wrote was paint a picture in your mind of Fudge wearing a pinstripe suit, a scarlet tie, a long black coat, pointed purple boots, carrying a lime green bowler hat, which mm -hmm. is not what he looks like in the movie, but just imagine that in your mind. <laughs> I curated what I found to try not to be too spoilery or to try to frame it even because I think most of our audience is probably familiar with some of the story or most of the stories mm -hmm. that are coming. But just to give us a frame of mind of like what it would have been like if we were reading this for the first time. Mm -hmm. So although we don't necessarily know all this, but like it's stuff about his past. The first thing that's kind of interesting, and this is a, a kind of separate from that idea, is that according to Lego Harry Potter, uh, Fudge's bogger is Lord Voldemort. So that's kind of interesting and it will frame some of what we experience from him. Well, yeah, especially if you think about, yeah, yeah, the timing and mm -hmm. stuff. When he was junior minister for the Department of Magical Accidents and Catastrophes, he was one of the first people on the scene after the encounter of Sirius Black and Peter Pettigrew. Mm. Yeah. So he, he speaks at apparently at some point, although I didn't remember the direct quote or record it, about having it in his mind, the crater in the, it must be in Prisoner of Azkaban, the crater that was created by the, the spell. Um, he... Became Minister of Magic 1990, but he wasn't necessarily who people thought was going to be the Minister of Magic. We learn at some point that Dumbledore was somebody that people really wanted to be minister, but he turned it down. And then there was apparently also a second choice, which was uh, Cornelius Fudge Sr. And uh, there's some rumors about a Cornelius Fudge Sr. No, <laughs> Barty Crouch Sr. No, I senior. know, I know. That, that's why, though, I was like, oh. I think you messed up, Jeff. Yeah, no, yeah. No, no, Barty no. Crouch I was thinking senior. interesting that it's senior, junior, senior, junior. Like, if you think about dynamics within families where you have, No, like, no, I said the wrong name. Oh, you, oh it's Barty not, Crouch Sr. Oh, sorry. Okay. I said the wrong name. Now yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> like funny. two sets of... Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so, yeah, so that, that will play out, I guess... Uh, we will learn that Fudge demoted okay. Barty Crouch when he becomes minister. When Cornelius Fudge was running to be minister of magic, which appears to potentially be a voting thing, I didn't look close enough at the minister of magic, how they become minister of magic. His campaign slogan was, a fair deal for wizards who deal fair with muggles. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now we'll get into some fun slash different stuff as well. So according to the magazine The Quibbler, which we'll learn a lot about, Fudge desired to conquer Gringotts Wizarding Bank, and in order to do so, he allegedly had goblins killed in ludicrous ways, such as drowning them, dropping them off buildings, poisoning them, and cooking them in pies, earning him the epithet Goblin Crusher. <laughs> However, as The Quibbler is a tabloid magazine, this theory is debatable and most likely untrue. Similarly, according to Luna Lovegood, daughter of the editor of the Quibbler, Cornelius has a private army of heliopaths, spirits whose fire spirits of fire whose existence is doubted by almost everyone. Here's the, the last fact. At some point early on in his ministerial career, certainly before 1995, Fudge awarded himself the Order of Merlin first class. <laughs> this caused a good deal of muttering among the wizarding community 
since the common view was that his career was less than distinguished, thus subverting the worth of this award, which is given out for acts of outstanding bravery or distinction. Yeah, we learned That's... a little bit about the Order of Merlin because uh, Lockhart has third, right, third class, right. Uh, I have looked at Minister for Magic. There's actually an entry on Wizarding World, formerly Powdermore, and uh, it says in here that there's no fixed limit to a minister's term of office, but they are obliged to hold regular elections at a maximum interval of seven years. Mm. And also, a characteristic of ministers is that uh, typically the Wizarding World is like very uh, behind their minister. Mm. Um, but it's also interesting, so if you have time to give a look, I'll put the link in the descriptions, but each minister, it's interesting to go through time and look at the ministers because you can kind of get a sense of, uh, what the society, like, what was the vibe of the society at the time? So it, there's like oscillations often between like ministers who are very like pro working with muggles or like interacting with muggles and others who are very against it and so there's a lot of you get a lot of like the political context of the wizarding world just by looking at who's in power mm -hmm. and yes i was very frustrated with uh, <laughs> fudge even though i guess like i mean i kind of understand what he's saying so the quote from when he's there is that he's under a lot of pressure got to be seen to be doing something it turns out that if it turns out it wasn't Hagrid he'll be back and no more said and I just wrote where and they'll apologize to where him. are the ethics in that approach like I mean I mean of course though we can criticize him um possibly make connections to other um actions of leadership in the muggle world I mean the, of course everyone's a human so witches and wizards are humans also and are motivated by different things and feel pressure to do things uh, for different motivations. But it's um, it's interesting that, that that is the perspective. It is a perspective that can be seen from someone in leadership or having that sort of power. Another, an alternative could be like waiting and not doing anything and just saying, hey, we don't have enough evidence for anything, but we're actively yep. looking into it. So that was super frustrating yeah, to me. Yeah, I mean, yet again... A master stroke by J.K. Rowling in creating a character whose personality fits the role. So, like, there's a there's a consistency in I think our reader experience with like there are politicians who fit mm -hmm. what Fudge is like. Similar to the teachers, sure. There might be some teachers that you're like, hey, I know, I know a teacher like Lockhart. And she does <laughs> this amazing thing, and I think we can keep returning to this, where she's very good at writing flaws, and then in characters, and then having those flaws talk to each other across characters, hmm. like how Fudge will learn to, and we learn about his relationship with Dumbledore. We learn about a little bit his relationship with Malfoy. We'll see Umbridge come up, and these ways that like characters sort of connect to each other and like what their flaws or even their strengths are core values like that they can i'll go back to the word they can be distorted and so you see like across the, the these characters like fudge is a certain way but he is influenced by the people around him so it's like the you know his better angels and worse demons i mean it's right in this chapter is like dumbledore and and malfoy both exerting some influence on fudge Dumbledore less so but mm -hmm. yeah yeah uh JK Rowling has been on Twitter more recently and 
she was responding to a few fan questions i think last week or maybe two weeks ago and somebody asked about whether or where she starts with writing stories and she her answer was the characters always the characters and then someone replied and was like well what about if you have like um like where the the lore is important to like what it is that you're trying to like the, what you're trying to communicate and all that and uh, she basically was like still the characters because like in order to like be able to construct that you need to know like who people are where they come from and like how they interact within any particular situation or context so I, I mean it def definitely comes out in the ways that we resonate with some of these characters or can identify them as actual potential people that would exist I think yes exactly for me there are other approaches, I feel, but I think that is her strongest point. She is able to get so many people connected to a fantasy world because the people are so realistic. And so you get this like, yeah, they're in a completely foreign and un and fantastical land, but their relationships and how they act and who does what is just so predictable often mm -hmm. it's like oh that's exactly how i would expect this person to act mm -hmm. and a lot, a lot of the times what's even more brilliant about it for me is that a lot of the times it's in retrospect in hindsight i'm like shoot i should have seen that coming from fudge like mm -hmm. who he becomes and like what he's about mm -hmm. already in the first thing where like yeah. you're talking about he's like kind of timid but he's not actually timid mm -hmm. he's like rationalizing he's like saying well, you know, we have to do something. Like, I know it's not you, but, like, yeah. I'm still going to placate the masses mm -hmm. and ship you, an innocent person, into jail. Potentially yeah. innocent, right? Yeah. With no, with all circumstantial evidence. Yeah, yeah. Uh, something else that uh, stood out to me in this chapter is that the kids are picking up classes for third yeah. year. So it actually takes some I don't know reading this time I feel like it takes a more serious foreshadowing or it's a it's more of a serious tone that foreshadows hey they're getting older like we're they're talking about like what you want to do with your life like and mm -hmm. and there's like all this advice and from Percy and there's like a comment play to your strengths uh, Harry and I wrote they're 12 and 13 years old. Just be a kid. I mean, never too early to think about the future. I know it's it resonated with me so hard of just like all the preparation. We've talked about this before. All the, uh, you know, like preparation narratives uh, in school of like how you are doing these things for who you want to be and at the expense of just actually living your life who, at the current time. It reminds me as you're talking. Do you remember the, who was the secretary of education under President Obama? Arnie Duncan? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's that quote, I believe it was him, where it was like, you can go into a, like a second grade classroom or third grade classroom and look in a student's eyes and tell if they're going to go to college. And it's like, whoa, guy, whoa. And it, it's, it is somewhat similar. And like Percy, okay, they're quite, they're a little bit older than that. But Percy's like, never too early to look into like concern yourself with the future. Yeah. And it's so ironic to put that with divination, which oh is like, gosh. you know. <laughs> I, I just can't. It's like one is. of the, there are a few things that like really set me off in life. And like one of the things is all this talk about like, I mean, it, it comes from a personal experience perspective of like, um, I don't know, just 
there's there's lots to unpack or re- reflect on, I guess, um, about decisions you made with your life and like um, how it was shaped by other people and just inner society it's so much focused on the future and I understand it I get it I can I can understand why people care about that because on the other side of it you could reflect and be like oh if only I had done this that or whatever then and it it can come from a good intentioned place of I'm just trying to help but as a former student and educator, it's just frustrating to me. I just want people to freely be who they are, to do what's interesting. And it's it's not a game. It's not like, oh, you have to like, because that's how they're talking about it. Like, be strategic. So like to maximize your efficiency as a human in the world, like play to your strengths. Like they, he literally says play, play to right. your strengths. And so I don't know. It was just a, a well, whole There can be a self-defeating aspect to worrying about the future right mm-hmm. in the sense that like the, the fundamental argument at times about worrying about the future is that is kind of belied by the fact that eventually the future will become the present the whole reason you should worry about the future is because it, it is a future present and it will but you're in a present right now mm-hmm. as well so there's kind of this i agree i think we we certainly tend to overstate like how much you should be thinking about the future at the expense of the of the present Mm -hmm. at the same time of course like living through quarantine for example there are certain sacrifices that we have Mm -hmm. to make in the present because we understand the risks to a future present Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah it's it is an interesting one I mean education is kind of right at that crux right it's like you're worrying about the future and you're somewhat investing in the future Mm mm-hmm present by doing certain things now yeah and it's kind of you know interesting yeah because we always we run across this dilemma of like a lot of people worry only about preparation for the future but we often ask the question well can you can you prepare to the future while while doing something valuable in the present yeah Mm -hmm. so like let's take an array of ways to get to different futures yeah which one of those is actually also valuable Mm -hmm. even if it sacrifices a little bit of efficiency in that you know, 20 year future idea. So mm-hmm. it's part of it. Yeah. So there are th- the third year class options right. you have. Uh, so at the end of the second year, they're required to choose a minimum of two. They can choose more subjects from the following list. Arithmancy, muggle studies, divination, study of ancient runes and care of magical creatures. Hmm. So my question to you and to people listening slash watching, which two would you choose from that list? Well, to be fair, I'm not entirely sure that I've ever really looked, looked up arithmancy and and uh, and ancient runes. But yeah. just based off their name, mm-hmm. I bet you it would be those two for me. Really? <laughs> yes. Um, so I can also put a link for Wizarding World. Do they have the descriptions in here? No, they do not have the descriptions in here. Well, that's okay. Um, I think that ancient runes would be probably something i would like i mean it is like historical but it also i don't know i like things that i mean i would imagine it has to do with like translating and origins and things like that um i also i don't know it depends on whether i am muggle born or not actually probably regardless if i were a muggle born student i would probably also choose muggle studies just Mm. to be like what's 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 up in here (laughs) (laughs) what's up with some uh, muggle studies 
don't know. Yeah, I think ancient runes. Runes have always been something that I've enjoyed in fantasy because they get towards something where it's like, mm -hmm. what is the more direct translation of like a magical essence? Mm -hmm. The rune before the word. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. That tends to be what they are in, in a lot of fantasy worlds. But yeah, I think that would be very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Because I also suspect, like, the Department of Mysteries probably has a lot of ancient runes on mm -hmm. some of this Just uh, mysterious stuff. all sorts of old stuff, stuff probably yeah, the, pen, the pensive in Dumbledore's yeah. office, probably. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, a lot happening. Hermione is petrified. Poor Hermione. She's just like, yeah, because you also probably got to that point in the chapter where she was like, I was like Harry, oh, I just realized no. something. And you're like, no, don't leave, Hermione. <laughs> don't oh, leave. No. Oh my gosh, but she's she's got a plan. And Ron's just like, I don't know, who knows what she's up to. It's really fun to have Hermione in that moment play the Sherlock, because she does this very frequently. Mm. There's a mystery, J.K. Rowling is writing a mystery, and then Hermione gets to the answer faster than me as the reader, and I always yeah. enjoy that. Yeah. And then she's like, I'm not going to tell you, I've, just got to, I've got to go right now, it's urgent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so she is petrified, and also Penelope Clearwater is petrified, who is a Ravenclaw prefect. Yes. Yes. Sorry, something occurred to me that we should absolutely talk about Lee Jordan's diatribe against the Slytherin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he does that publicly. I did, I did not remember that in my previous readings. He, like, shouts it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I remember... I remember... Well, because... Because I feel like uh, Fred and George probably also, like, I mean, they're friends with Lee Jordan. Mm -hmm. And so they probably have talked about it, like, the whole school year. Right. <laughs> and Lee's just like, I'm over it. It's clearly Slytherins. But yeah. Lee also, as the announcer, right, for Quidditch games, is, has like, as a character, is known to just, like, say whatever. Yep. Maybe it's just another great example of, like, jk rowling having this flaw that like lee jordan seems to hold a grudge against slytherin possibly for very good reason he'd probably teased or whatever it might have been yeah. bullied uh but then like it, it accelerates in this moment mm -hmm. by being like well it's clearly slytherins like look well, at just look at the circumstantial evidence this whole <laughs> book though is all of that you have i mean i said it before you have this is probably one of the worst things in the wizarding world having blood superiority and how quickly it is taken up and publicly said into the space like regardless like i said before people already had these knowledge the knowledge of the discourses of like what it means like what a mudblood is and like all this stuff or it was explained to them when they finally heard it like people it's this passed down knowledge this passed down prejudice and then it just it's it's amazing but not surprising i could see it happen how quickly these kids who are like 11 to i don't know 17 years old that are like yeah quickly turn on each other yep and i mean you have the slytherins making the password pure blood you have uh malfoy just like outwardly calling out mudbloods and people yep. like cheering him on or backing him ernie up McMillan being like, ernie like suspecting just they're all turning on each other because yeah. it's just it's such a it's such a you know dire situation people are getting attacked and so it it makes people very defensive and lash out and it's interesting to think about like two things well first of all 
I find it very ironic that they assume that a Gryffindor took the diary because you need a password to get into the Gryffindor common room, given that in this year, they, Gryffindors, were in the Slytherin common room. So that's an interesting circumstantial evidence piece where they come to the wrong, okay, may be the right inference when we learn Mm -hmm. it, but they don't have a good justification for it. It might be more likely that it's a Gryffindor, but it could certainly be somebody under Polyjuice Potion. Yeah, I don't think that they think other people are like them, though. No, That's exactly. Kind of like a... They don't consider it's <laughs> yeah. a filter mm-hmm. for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, what I was going to say also is that there's there's kind of a conspicuous absence of Dumbledore, right? A shortcoming of his leadership style is that he tends to be very absent during crisis. And in this one in particular, right, he's not like regularly reassuring the the community. He's not wandering the halls to make sure that people are understanding like we don't have this evidence or explaining it he's he does it once or Mm -hmm. twice but usually his mode Mm -hmm. is is that he will come to a kind of event say like they found um um mrs norris and he will diffuse the event in kind of in the moment but then he will remove the main actors from Mm -hmm. the general public which is generally i guess how things happen but it's all, it just stood out to me that like he is a little bit absent. We really only see him very frequently in kind of private. Yeah. But he's the leader of the school. So right. like whereas yeah. his absence kind of can speak volumes to this kind of acceleration. He's mm-hmm. not there to be like Lee Jordan, you know. Yeah. Can you calm down, please? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I hadn't considered uh, leadership in well, in this story specifically. Um because, but the more that you're bringing it up, the more visible it is to me. Because that, I mean, it is, I don't know. I know that, so doing a, dis- or a dissertation that focuses on discourse, like mm-hmm. there are competing perspectives of like, discourse doesn't matter. It's just words. And then discourse matters a lot. It's very powerful and shapes the ways that we think and act and whatever. And so, of course, there's like whatever in between. It's not necessarily that simple. But... I leaned more on the side of like discourse is powerful. Mm-hmm. This is why I talk about storytelling all the time. But it does make sense. So like if you're just going to let things fester, yeah, things are going to explode. If you're not there to like have offer any sort of alternative perspective or uh, rationalization or sense making of what is happening, then this stuff is going to fester. Things are going to lash out and it's just going to feed off of each other. Regardless of like you can't erase like if someone really has this in, uh, thought about Slytherin and wants to voice it mm-hmm. you might not be able to stop them however shaping it's a contribution to the like network of discourses that are there that I think mm-hmm. uh, is missing from Dumbledore for sure but I also think like we do get glimpses of Dumbledore he kind of functions you know like orthogonally to the rest of the world like he he is one of those people where like he's going a different direction from everyone else very frequently Mm -hmm. and so it's kind of maybe plays into this present future thing where he might believe and in in fact he might be proven to be right that he can affect all of these issues in a much more substantial way or long-lasting way if he doesn't get bogged down in the day-to-day of it yeah. Right, so maybe he's not wandering the halls, like yeah. kind of helping people speak in certain ways because he knows that if he did that, he couldn't be doing other things and those right. other things are very important. Yeah, there's also the aspect 
that we'll learn more about Dumbledore right. with um, his relationship to power. I mean, you are already mentioned that people wanted him to be minister and he turned right. that down. So he, I feel like he is, Dumbledore is very thoughtful. It's not, I mean, yes, he had, like this seems to be his, the way that he interacts as headmaster, but he's also a very, very thoughtful wizard. So, yeah. Well, we get two real clues so far in this book. One happened in this chapter where like he seems mm-hmm. to know that Harry and Ron are there and he seems to have foresight into like what they might need that he can offer offer yeah. them. And additionally, that happens when Harry is in the hospital wing after losing his bones and he overhears Dumbledore being mm-hmm. like, it's not a question of who, it's a question of how. Mm-hmm. Like that he already, kn- he's yeah, yeah. already 10 steps beyond everyone else's speculation. Yeah. But, but sometimes he doesn't seem to confront it because it is such circumstantial evidence. Like yeah. he has drawn all these different inferences. Yeah. He also has access to different information. Yeah. But he's a very unique character. And I think there, there are analogs to his approach in higher education mm. where people try to detach themselves from like the crises of the moment so that they can mm-hmm. think about longer term goals. Of course, there's a lot of uh, tension there because there yeah. are urgent goals in the present. But right, he's an interesting character. I mean, Dumbledore is so elusive in these early two books. He just comes in like this. <laughs> like he's he's the he's the he's powerful the wizard. He is. Like, where, where are you, dude? <laughs> Why aren't yeah. you talking to Harry every day? And he comes in at the exact right moment, right yeah. when Harry's at the mirror, and he brings you know, and yeah, and now when Harry when he's about to be taken away, he's like, well, let me. Uh, just say this out sure loud real like, quick. Yeah. <laughs> it's good stuff. Oh my gosh. I only have one last thing to say. Hit me with it. Lucius Malfoy. <laughs> Dear Jesus. So I already like talked briefly about the governors. So they're this, you know, board. 12 governors. He got their signatures to get uh, Dumbledore to step down. And I'm I like, sure bro, chill out. What is your deal? I don't understand. <laughs> Why? I mean... Honestly, this book to me, I mean, we see it in other uh, books as well, but this book is all about power struggle. Like mm. it's it's competing for power and it's asserting power. It's much more power. subtle in a lot of ways yeah. Yeah, than I, later on. And a big source is Lucius Malfoy. I mean, by the time we get to like Order of the Phoenix book five, it's like this is such an overt power struggle yeah. between Dumbledore and Fudge. But now it's like this, there's this weird kind of mm-hmm. ground, it's all, groundwork you know, you know, calculated. being laid <laughs> Great. Yeah. I'm set too. I don't have anything else. Okay. That was fun. Yep. Thanks for listening. Until next time, Juan's ready. ready.